Sign up today for the Film Comment Letter. It's a free weekly digital newsletter featuring original film criticism and writing by Film Comment's editors and brilliant contributors. The letter delivers exclusive features, reviews, interviews, streaming picks, news, and more directly to subscribers' inboxes every Thursday before they're published on filmcomment.com the following Monday. Sign up today at filmcomment.com. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. I'm Devika Girish, the co-editor of Film Comment. More than 30 years ago now, the director Nancy Savoka premiered what the New York Times described as a miracle of a film. Household Saints was adapted from a novel by Francine Prose about three generations of an Italian-American family navigating faith and modernity in post-World War II New York City. The movie featured an incredible ensemble cast, including Tracy Ullman, Vincent D'Onofrio, Lily Taylor, and Michael Imperioli. And it told a strange and charming tale of fanatically headstrong women who were unlike any other characters to grace the movie screens of the 1990s. It all begins when Joseph, a handsome butcher played by D'Onofrio, wins Catherine, played by Ullman, as his wife in a game of pinochle. The first half of the film follows their relationship, plagued by the superstitions of Joseph's bitter mother, while the second half follows their daughter, Teresa, played by Taylor, who becomes consumed by a saintly devotion to God. Last year, after a long and arduous effort to recover and restore the movie's materials, a new restoration premiered at the New York Film Festival and introduced contemporary audiences to what still feels like a novelty of a film. The newly restored Household Saints opened in theaters last week, so I invited Nancy Savoka and Vincent D'Onofrio to the podcast to talk about making the film in the 1990s, how they infused it with their own Italian-American upbringing, and the daring mix of sex and religion that the film explores. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Such a pleasure to have you on the Film Comment podcast, Vincent, Nancy. How are you both doing? Where are you both joining me from? I am in Upper Manhattan, Morningside Heights. Oh, okay. I'm uh, in Williamsburg. Brooklyn. Oh, all right. All right. All right. We're, all, we're all in New York City, which oh. cannot be said for the cast of Household Saints during its shooting, if I'm correct, <laughs> even though it appears to be New York City. The, it's yeah. the New York City of the mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which, yeah, the best version of New York City. Yeah. So uh, I'm really excited about Household Saints opening in a new restoration. You know, I saw it at the New York Film Festival and it was a real surprise uh, for me. It was just unlike any movie I had seen, especially from the 90s. It was thematically so difficult to pin down, you know, it's so hard to sort of even capture it in a summary or a log line. I think it's a very idiosyncratic film. Uh, but actually, before we get into the film, I wanted to start by asking each of you where you were in your careers in 1993 when Household Saints happened. Uh, and Nancy, what 
put Vincent on your radar for the role of Joseph? So maybe you can start, like, where were you? Um, you know, I was reading Janet Maslin's review of Household Saints from back when, and she started off by saying Nancy Savoca could have done whatever she wanted after she made True Love. Uh, she could have gone and made a big, big bland Hollywood movie, but instead she chose to make this miracle of a small but incredibly singular film. So that made me wonder, you know, how what headspace you were in when you started Household Saints. Um, I was trying to figure out how to get away with doing things that I was passionate about, Um the first movie was an indie film. Uh, nobody, you know, nobody was interested in financing it, which was a mixed blessing because then we had to go out and find, um, you know, individual people to finance it. But nobody was giving me notes, creative notes. Uh, Dogfight was a foray into the studios and a different way of working. And I was very, very lucky to have this beautiful cast to work with, with Lily Taylor and, and River Phoenix. But it was definitely a different uh, way of doing things. Um, and then for the third time I actually went back to a, a story that I had fallen in love with uh in college when I was an undergrad at NYU and I read Francine's book and it blew my mind and I wrote her a love letter said one day I'm going to make this into a movie I'm still studying film but one day I'm going to make it into a movie um so I went back after during the shooting of of Dogfight Rich and I started talking about what would be next and I said I don't know how we're going to do this but I want to do Household Saints hmm. and uh what was the process of casting Vincent for the role of Joseph. Well, it was very interesting because, you know, uh, I, talking to Lily during dogfight, um, towards the end of our shoot with dogfight, and she said, you know, who'd be great when she read the script, she goes, it'd be great, it would be Vince. Uh -huh. And I was like, you know, he's a chameleon, this guy. I remembered seeing him in Mystic Pizza playing Lily's boyfriend. And so I just went like, oh, wow. <laughs> I got to figure this out. And then I met with you, Vince. And once I met with Vince, I was like, what are you talking about? And I was thinking, he's in the player. He was in, you know, full metal jacket. He's never the same person. I know he's going to be whatever damn well he says he's going to be and who he's going to be. And I just knew that his style of acting um, that I had seen and everything I've seen of his, I knew was what we needed and what was going to come in and how we were all going to work very well together. You, you're always looking for the potential because, you know, nobody brings a fully realized character when you first mm -hmm. meet them. That's ridiculous. But suddenly, like, you're going like, this is someone I can work with. He's going to bring me gold. And he did. <laughs> and Vincent, what is your memory of that time? So you had done Full Metal Jacket, Mystic Pizza, you know, a few other roles. Uh, your star was very much rising. Uh, what is your memory of where you were in your career and what it was like to receive that call for Household Saints? Um, I guess I was, it was pretty early. I was pretty young still. And it, so I was like, as far as where I was in my career, I was already considering not pursuing any more kind of leads and stuff and to do more kind of character work and because my dream was really to just to be a kind of character actor supporting actor kind of a thing that's really what I wanted I never had the personality type to to deal with um being a leading man and all the pressures that come to with that and everything so I think I was still 
kind of, you know, being convinced by agents and stuff like that, that um, it would be a good idea to keep pursuing leads and stuff. But I, I was sort of, that was the first, that it was around that area when I was considering to, to stop trying so hard. And, um, uh, and as far as, so, so as far as like, um, Nancy, I mean, everybody, any New York actor would have seen True Love and, uh, uh, and, um, Dogfight, like, you know, so they were, you know, Nancy was the, you know, she was it, you know, you, you wanted to work with Nancy and, and, and Rich for that matter. And, um, but, um, yeah, I just wanted to work with them. And, um, I was friends with Lily and we, you know, so I knew it, I knew what she'd been up to anyway. So when I found out that, um, Nancy wanted me to read it and to meet with her and, I was very excited. I was, I was, you know, worried about the exact opposite of what Nancy said. I, I, I was, I, I remember hoping that I was going to be good enough to be in a film like hers, you know, because oh, of the raw acting that she gets from everybody and still allows them to have full characters and stuff. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I was, I remember, still remember before being nervous to, uh, to meet Nancy, actually, I was nervous it's... to meet Joe. Get out! Get out! Oh my God! It, can I ask him a question now? Because yeah, just, go ahead. It's go so, ahead. so interesting to think that of where you were at that time, and I can understand no, now knowing you, I can understand um, that thinking that you were going through. Like, what am I going to take this on, which is acting plus preserving an image or acting? You know, yeah. and and becoming. Any the person that people tell, get, you know, the, the opportunities I'm given these different people. But it's interesting because what kind of pressures were you facing representative wise? And, and to be given a script like Household Saints, I can't, I think that's always the trickiest part for me in getting funding is, is the casting because yeah. it's hard, right? To make that commitment. Yeah. But remember, I was with um, being managed by Mary Goldberg at the time. Okay. So she yeah. was why I was key, you know, because Lily was also represented by her okay. for a while, remember? So and, the, ma and the manage the people who manage you who understand. Yeah. So if you don't know out there who who who's listening, who Mary Goldberg is and was, she was probably, I would say, the most creative artistic manager that an actor could find. Wow. Uh, and, okay. and and very supportive of small films and uh, uh, act and and directors and stories like Nancy's stuff. So that's so Nancy. I would you know. So yeah. So that was the that was the one person that just wanted me to do what I wanted to do. And but the agencies, you know, because they were making Brat Pack films and stuff. Remember and. And, sure. you know, I, you know, if I had wanted to, I could have fit perfectly in that slot, you know, like, right. right. But it's, it just wasn't, I, every movie that I did, I felt less and less that I should pursue leading man stuff only and stuff like that. Like I, I, I it, it was that. So that's, yeah, that's just where I was psychologically. Yeah.
Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm so glad um, you brought that up, Nancy and and Vincent. What you're saying about yeah, the the leading man role and the Brad Pack kind of films. Because while I was watching Household Saints, I mean, you you're very handsome and charming and have this kind of macho, you know, personality, but you're very much in a woman's film, right? When the film starts, you don't know which way it's going to go, this card game between these men. But as it goes on and on, it really becomes a film about women. And I thought that it was so, uh, I mean, you are one of the leading roles in a sense, but there, your character is very much in support of women's stories. I mean, I, I was just wondering if you had that sense back then making the movie that you're doing something very kind of different. It seems a little bit radical even now. Yeah, I, I don't know. The, I don't really know the answer to that. I only when you were saying that about the women, um, you know, I grew up with women. I was the only boy in the house. I had no dad, really. And um you know, in hindsight, looking back at my career, my career has been run by women, you know, so it's, uh, this was not even on something that I would even consider, like it wasn't a a kind of clever choice I made or anything. It was just a kind of natural thing. And, and to sort of fit in a movie, I mean, I always, I, you know, my job is to service the story. That's always how I felt about it, even when I was young. You know, that's how I was taught to act. And um, that's where the best act my kind of inspirations to be an actor from other actors, men and women, um, their attitude was basically the same service to story, you know, and you'll be okay. And whether it was theater or film or whatever it was. And um, yeah, no, I, I, I did, you know, I did know, you know, one of the most important things to do as an actor, especially a, a character actor, supporting actor is to know that, you know, the composition of your character within the structure of the story. I mean, that's like the main thing. And in this case, yeah, you're right. I mean, there were some, there are two great performers, actresses in this movie, you know, Tracy Ullman. You know, it, it's, it's so wild to think back at it and, you know, to think of what Tracy was like in in all of our minds back then and and, you know, how she was so revered and uh, because of her just extreme talent and versatility and everything, you know, all the obvious stuff, but they, she was, you know, you know, you, you didn't want to miss one performance of Tracy Almonds because you just never knew what she was going to do and you knew it was going to be great. So, you know, going in, I was very happy. I had a friend there, Lily already. And I, you know, everybody knows how talented Lily is. And then, Tracy Ullman, like, and then and most of all, the director is this, you know, is this director who who just you know, knows how to make movies. And it's, uh, I just, that's how I felt. No, there wasn't any really anything deeper than that. Sort of a natural thing for me. I, I also want to add to that, that what was so interesting to me, um, it started with True Love, but then it continued with Household Sin. No, it didn't happen with Dogfight, I realized. Like, I think because we see um, the women characters are so kind of unusual because they're rare, like the way you go in deep in them, it's so rare that you almost, uh, you feel it, but don't, can't articulate that the men are also rare. The, 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 the facets of masculinity that these guys are portraying 
I've never seen before on film either. And and so like I always think and I said and I thanked Francine because when the movie when we saw the movie cut, uh, Francine's husband Howie said, "Oh my God, I just realized this movie's a father daughter story." And I was like, "Oh wait!" And and then we were able to articulate things that we were just all working on, but not you know we weren't intellectualizing anything. We were just physically I don't know going through this process with this movie. And then I was like, oh my God, yeah, look what Francine did. In a sort of standard story, the mom-daughter would have a relationship of like, oh, my mystical wannabe saint daughter. And what have I given her? And the, you know, the grandmother to the to the daughter-in-law to the daughter and the matriarchal feminine, feminine line. But what happens is at the end of the movie, who's with her? Yeah. Who's the one who has a realization or decides to see the point of view of the daughter? It's not the mother. It's Joseph. And that moment, like I just talked about in my, in the, like I got, you know, my, the hair stood up on my arm. Because that moment when he turns around and says, do you smell that? Like, I still, like I still, you know, and I haven't seen the movie. I saw the movie for the restoration because it's very hard for me to see the film. So I saw it for the restoration and it blew my mind. And every once in a while I catch the ending when we're doing Q&As, I got to walk in and it's usually around that time. And that moment always like hits me. Like, yeah. So, and, and by the way, like uh, Vince landed, Victor Argo landed, Mike Rispoli landed. And, you know, they all started playing cards. <laughs> Immediately, like... It was so beautiful. It was so much fun to, uh, I always felt so privileged to be in those, in the card playing scene. I felt like I was one of the guys, like I could sit down and play cards too. Because you become, you know, you, you don't have a gender when you're directing. You're As an artist, you just kind mm. of, you know, want to be everything. So yeah. it's fun. I mean, I, I, I completely agree with you. Just Joseph's masculinity is so tender and and sort of, again, un unpinned pin downable in the film my uh, my favorite scene really is when he's selling sausage to Catherine I've heard this before from from people <laughs> you know it, it because it's uh you know he's a little bit of a cheater and clearly a little bit of a player and he's teasing her but he's also dazzled by her and it it you know, Vincent, you really capture all of that in that scene. And there's, um, it's very easy for a character like that to be just portrayed as one of those rough, macho men. Yeah. But you bring so much tenderness to that role. And after that, when you have dinner with Catherine, you know, your character has dinner with Catherine. And you just see something changing inside you where you start to develop this fascination with this woman. You're ready to defend her against your, you know, mother. And this kind of extraordinary tenderness that I think working class men portrayed in the movies at the time didn't always have. Uh, where did that come from for you? I, well, when you talk about this, like if we're going to talk about specific scenes, like the sausage scene, that was pretty much Nancy. Like if I remember correctly, that a lot of that had to do with her direction and the way and how she talked to me about that particular scene. And and I was happy that she did because on on the page, it was a great scene, but but very, it could have been played so many different ways, you know. Um, I already kind of had a gist of of how 
Tracy was coming across in the as the character, like her the feel of this woman, of the woman the character the the woman that Tracy was playing, like the way she was doing it, and 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 to me that just made it even more kind of complicated is the wrong word, but it more there was just more ways to play it. Um, for the two of us to play the scene. I think on my side, I don't know about with Tracy, but I think that Nancy was a, you know, she, she was a big help in that finding that particular tone. I mean, you know, the, the masculinity thing, you know, it just comes from, you know, my friends and, and, and my, the kind of people, kind of men that I aspire to be, you know, like, my stepdad was a um, when he eventually came into our life. He he was a firefighter. He was like a real guy guy, you know. And and um, I grew up with all women, and I wasn't into sports or anything. I was just into the arts because that's the way my 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 real father and my mother were. And so um, I kind of inherited this kind of thing from George, my stepdad, because uh, he was a solid guy, like a real guy, and. Uh, um, so I, that wasn't foreign to me how to be still be a, a, a dude, but, but, you know, how, you know, to be, you know, uh, emotional, you know, you know, to, you know, but there are particular scenes all through that movie, if I remember correctly, where some of them, I understood completely how to play it and others. I just, you know, Nancy, just, it's basically Nancy who's telling me things in my ear um, before the scene and during the scene and stuff like that. It's so interesting to hear your end of it, Vince, because I just remember thinking, it's so great that I can talk to Vince this way, like that he gets, he gets it. And I think it, it is a lot about, you know, how both of us were bringing our backgrounds, you know, my father, your relatives, we know these guys, and we know, you know, that some of if you paint the the with a very broad brush, you get the macho. Where's my dinner on the table? Kind of guy uh, banging the table, kind of like you know, caveman we call it, um, and the Guidos, as we say. But all of us know that beneath that, there's other things that go on, and, not, and some of them can be uglier, even, or some of them can be surprising. And some of them can go really deep. And sometimes I sit, you know, I sit with these guys and it's like philosophical, you know, they can have like, you have the deepest conversations and you're like, no movie would ever show this, this man this way, you know? So I, I, I appreciate what you're saying. And I, and I really, for my part, got to say, you know, I, I knew that I, that we were speaking a similar language, you know? Yeah. There was a, there was an amazing sense of play too on set every day that you arrived. Some stuff was, I mean, the budget was was tight, and we knew we had to get things done, and that was you could you could see that on Richard's face every day, you know. What was the budget? It was around five, I think, for like a kind of like a sort of an operatic big movie, and we shot uh, for oh forty something days, which today I think people shoot for like twenty days. Mm. Yeah, uh, but correct. but we also used what what I used to call the dinosaur equipment. When I remember in the middle of that movie in particular, I was like, Jesus Christ, this movie, you know, movie industry is a hundred and something years old. When are we going to like stop using this equipment? Because it takes forever to light a darn scene, and yet you know, 
it looks beautiful. It so it's gorgeous. I take every one of those words back. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, so so the, there there's this kind of feeling on a set like that. It's very rare these days. You know, I, I, anybody um, who understands what filmmaking is like and or acting in a film. Um, whether it's crew or whoever it is, understands nowadays that things are much different. Like there, there's rarely a sense of play on set. Even if you're working with like the best out there as far as actors and stuff, like I'm, I'm speaking from an actor's point of view, obviously, that, you know, you walk onto a set that's been built and all the props are there that you asked for and everything's ready to go and you, you the other actors everybody knows that it's time to play let's make let's try to get all the creatives let's try to get this as good as as good as we can as quick as we can <laughs> kind of so to speak but but still that you know we didn't lose that kind of um that feeling of let's get this right and approach it you know in 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 the in whatever kind of raw original way we can, you know, that's that's it's very rare when time is when when time is taken and and that vibe on set exists. You both have been talking about you know how your backgrounds and your families and you know influenced your your approach to the film. I was also wondering like this is such a sort of uh, a. Uh, an Italian-American story, you know, really set within that world of uh, Italian-Americans in New York in the 1950s. How much of that, uh, you know, or how much of like your own family life and customs and rituals and inheritance did you kind of bring to the role or see in the film? Well, that, I mean, it's all my relatives. It's all my aunts and my uncles. Yeah, I mean, it's all my nephew, my, uh, sorry, my cousins. And, and uh, it, it was like what Nancy just said, you know, there, there's a, there's a wide spectrum of, of uh, types from Brooklyn and from Manhattan. And, you know, my family was, you know, some of them want, you know, there were certain people in my family that were very eccentric. Um, they had nicknames that were eccentric nicknames and, and, uh, named by their cousins and their siblings. And, uh, you know, I grew up, you know, I had an aunt Chicky, you know, I had an aunt Dot, you know, it was like, I had all these, or I should say aunt, sorry, <laughs> I had all these aunts and uncles and stuff, um, that were, you know, some of them were very kind of normal and some of them were quite crazy, you know, and uh, especially the 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 um, the older ones. And, and, and same here, like when I, first of all, Francine's a Jewish girl from Brooklyn and, but she wrote this book and then I said, oh my God, like, how'd you get, when I met her, I was like, how'd you get this right? Because you wrote my life and I am half Sicilian and half Argentinian. And both my parents are immigrants. So my mom is really, really Argentinian. She's like Creole Argentinian. And my dad is born in Sicily, raised there. But all our family in New York were the Sicilians. They did, the Argentinians didn't come here. So when we immigrated here, I had the, the like what we call them right off the boat. We used to call them off the boat, the, the first generation immigrants 
they had just arrived like a few years before we did. So everyone was trying to figure out the system. And so everybody at that point is a character, I think, because they're coming, they're transplanted. So they can't, they really stand out in high relief. Uh, I think most of my family did because no one was Americanized. No one, now the next generation, literally my nieces and nephews are Americanized. But what I experienced was like, what is this place we just landed in? How do we make sense of it? So the, I, as I get older now, I'm with Carmela. Like I really get Carmela like so well. <laughs> I love <laughs> what Judith did with that character. And and I understand it's like one foot somewhere else and one foot here and trying to figure it out, but, but sort of trying to retain your essence, I think. And Francine caught that. And so the biggest joy as a director for me is that I never will go as deeply into a character as an actor can because they literally, um, I, I notice that when I say something in direction, it literally, uh, and the best actors that I work with just goes to their bodies. It doesn't even, it might briefly go through the brain, but it, it, it lands on their bodies. And so they're literally embodying these people. I kind of am playing like a spirit. I go in and out of people. And one of the joys of directing is that I get to experience a little bit like floating through you know, Joseph Santangelo floating through Teresa at her most, you know, intense moments. I'm like, whoa, I'm with Lily. And I just kind of feel this wonderful playfulness of floating through people. And I get to be everybody. I get to be Nikki. I get I get to be Joseph in the sausage. I, I get to be, but like in a weird way. I don't know how to explain it. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure different people have different sort of readings and attachments to the film. For me, the fact that this is a community of immigrants feels very prominent, that this is where this kind of fanaticism, this attachment to lore comes from, is mm-hmm. uh, I read the film as these people who haven't fully found their place yet, place yet, and sometimes their connection to the past they gave up is through legends and lores and superstition and, you know, this sort of mysticism is their way of feeling like they're staying, like something is constant in a world that is changing very quickly. And the film was is set during, you know, the Cold War. I mean, it's a, it's a very kind of overwhelming time historically. And so that really stands out to me as... As yeah, a community really trying to hold on to something, you know. And let's not forget that these the folks of when you think of Italian Americans, the majority of Italian Americans in our in the U.S. come from the South, and the South of Italy is very different. Saying from coming from Milan, yeah. So yeah. Like the Naples South of Italy, and... right? That if you got Naples, Sicily, you know Puglia, you know Calabria, uh, you're coming from a place that, especially in the time that these people came, literally was poverty there was struggles with eating. So when they came here and the social workers would say, put a meatball with that spaghetti. (laughs) And then spaghetti meatballs is born in the US because put a meatball with the spaghetti means give your child some protein. And they weren't used to it. They were used to keeping pasta and putting hot water in and giving it to their children. So all of this stuff, I think, again, just in retrospect, I learned by reading Blood of My Blood, Richard Cambino's book, about Southern Italians and why my father was the way he was with education, which is very much like Joseph Santangelo, you're not going to become a nun. My father was, you're not going to college. You're not going to college, which in you hear in most um, immigrant stories is like, you must go to college. We, I experienced the opposite because as I learned in Richard Gambino's book, going to school, you learn to be different from your tribe and you leave it. 
and that's dangerous. You're not, your tribe won't survive. And this is coming from a land that was invaded so many times that people learned to hunker down and survive. So all of this I, I had been studying in my research for Household Saints and kind of, you know, I don't put it in like with people announcing it in their speech or anything, but it's just like kind of, I think, lives there because there's an awareness that we all have of where everybody comes from. So that you're not saying, boy, these dumb peasants, <laughs> but you're saying, oh, wow. Yeah, like they're coming in feeling really threatened and they're, you know, distrustful of systems that they don't know how it works, you know? Yeah. My grandfather was was an interesting guy. His name was Vincent as well. I'm named after him. And, and he, he, you know, he had a, um, a, a drapery upholstery business in Manhattan. Um, that was his trade. And, uh, you know, he, he never said to me, you know, don't become an actor. But he had me working with him all the time. You know, he wanted me to know what how to do something besides acting. Um, and he was right, by the way. You know, he was, he, you know, but he he had me doing everything from driving uh, a delivery truck to doing working with the carpenters to doing actual upholstery to um uh knowing how to uh hang drapes and and balances and um like he was teaching me a trade at the time in my youngster's mind i just thought he wanted to make sure i had a paycheck so i could go to acting school you know that i had a job <laughs> and uh but you know i think you know i think it was both but i think more so he really wanted to teach me something because I remember when I told him that um, I got Full Metal Jacket wow. and he he was so happy. He couldn't believe it. He said the first thing he said to me, he said, do you realize the chances? Wow. How, you know, how the odds were against you? You know, he goes, this is quite something. He said to me, this is wow. really quite something. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And that has so much meaning when someone like that says that to you. Yeah. My father eventually did also after, and I learned it was all fear, especially film school. He didn't want me to go to film school. You know, what kind of woman, what kind of woman goes into film? He asked me and I couldn't answer. I was like me, <laughs> but um, so I, I actually left home to go to film school. And when, uh, when I started making films, he was on all my sets and he would set, sometimes I'd have a seat for him, but he was in Household Saints. He played. And, and, wait, and wait, I what was he in Household, Household Saints? He's uh, one of the guys in the stoop when it's like so hot, like in the <sighs> opening, that he's like, got, you know, San Lorenzo, turn me over, roast me on the other side. That was my father. Oh, how um, lovely. I yes. didn't know that. A little Easter egg. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Actually, my daughter, Martina, whom I was pregnant with at the time, uh, used this found footage of that we found of, of, of the film and made a documentary called The Many Miracles of Household Saints, which I should share with you, Vince, so you can see it's really wild, oh, like EPK and background. And then oh she interviewed us, interviewed us today to say, like, what do you think? So we're like back and forth in the two uh, worlds. But yes, yes, wow. I would like to share that. And um, but all this to say, like my dad, I watched him shed fear over years because a lot of this um and you know he would do it in that macho way he's like i i'm telling you you're not gonna you know and at the time i'd react like oh yeah you can't tell me you know we'd be 
you know, and then as the years went by and I could have a conversation where he didn't feel the responsibility for me anymore because I was off, you know, yeah. he, he, I was very grateful that, you know, he died older, that I was able to have long conversations with him. And he was very proud of, of, because he actually made a lot of home movies and loved filming. So oh, wow. it was really kind of, you know, beautiful. It, it's it interesting. It, it's really interesting how, how the, you know, their, their sensibility of these kind of immigrants, they had quite an amazing sensibility. You know, I was, the, you made me think of another thing, Nancy, where it's like, you know, after I did Full Metal Jacket, um, when we finished shooting that, you know, I went, I came back home and I, you know, I started working again. Like I didn't start a acting. I started, I got, you know, I stayed at my job that I had. And I stayed at my job. I think I left my job after, I think on my third film, Adventures in Babysitting, I think. Uh, no, Mystic Pizza. I think after Mystic Pizza, Mystic Pizza was my third film, actually. So I, you know, and and that comes from my grandfather. Like he didn't say, "Hey, you should go back to work," but it's his sense of that's his sensibility. Mm -hmm. You know. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I mean, what's um, what's so fascinating about household science is that it's some dynamics are inverted. The daughter is obsessed with religion, you know, and that amazing scene where Joseph says, you can't become a nun because nuns don't want anything. So, you know, men don't desire them. I mean, this is, it was, it's, first of all, it's such a complex kind of analysis of desire. And it's such a strange thing for a dad to be telling a daughter, you know, like, no, don't give your life to God, because there's other stuff out there. And it made me think of how also uh, the role of desire in the movie, it's like such a, uh, the movie takes like, eroticism so seriously. Uh, I think the sex scene between Joseph and Catherine, you know, on their wedding night, uh, first of all, Nancy, what was going on in your mind? <laughs> Why? Well, <laughs> it's fantastic, but it's also, I, I, you know, it's just so, um, it feels just so idiosyncratic and it, it, I've never seen a sex scene, the wedding night portrayed like this, you know, bubbles and the mother's bed floating over, but it's also very erotic and tender and beautiful. So can you talk about that? And, also, I don't know, Vincent, when you, if when you were shooting it, if you know how it was going to poor, be. Poor Vince going like, what, now the bubbles are going to fly by me? Like, is the bed going to come soon? Or let me know when I'm supposed to do this move. <laughs> poor Vince. Um, but well, the, number one, you know, thank you, Francine, and your crazy imagination. Um, yeah. I'd like to blame all of it on, on her. And I will start by there. Um, she, she wrote this beautiful, these beautiful scenes. And then mm -hmm. my job was like, oh my God, this is really good on paper. Now, now how does this become visual? Um, so all my cues were coming from her. Uh, and what I loved about the story was that it was about spirituality and it was about sexuality. And it was about that you can't, I, it's my takeaway. You, you, you really need uh, to have a full experience in life, you have both. You mm. you got given a body. I'm sorry. You know, if we didn't, have, <laughs> if we were just meant to be worshiping everything, we would be invisible. So we got given a body, and both those things um, need to be inhabited oh. and, and respected and enjoyed. And that, and I think I get, 
I think I got some of the messaging from my my cultures, mm. both my cultures, that both of them sort of have this on the one hand, super, super Catholic, both cultures are the Argentines and the Italians, the super Catholic thing. But at the same time, there's that flip side of uh, of of sex and, you know, and 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 really respecting and maybe being fearful of when people are are feeling passionate about things. I think people, as a matter of fact, when you have obsessions like, like, you know, we have with our work and our careers, I think that's what would worry our parents or, mm. you know, or the, or your grandfather, you know, this, uh Oh, uh Oh, the passions are here. And we, we know that can really take somebody away, yeah. you know? So I think you can act like, irrationally if you love something enough or. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And they recognize it as opposed to a culture that might more repress that. Like, they knew it. They understood it. And they're like, I've been there and I'm afraid what's going to happen to you because you're going there. And yeah, it's um, I think that was all that's kind of all over the story. And and Francine got it. I actually can't remember actually shooting that scene. I remember I do remember the set and I do remember the bed and I do remember how Tracy looked. I don't remember actually shooting it. I'm sure I had lots of questions for Nancy. <laughs> poor, poor Vince. Poor, poor Vince. Poor Tracy. It's like, you know, like often, often in that movie, what was so wonderful is that we did sort of really zone in on the, you know, the the psychology, the underneath, the subconscious, the, the feelings, the urges of people and all that. And that was so much fun to play with. But then you would have a scene like this technical, like the bubbles are coming in. That, that it was like a music video or something, you know. Yeah. And and we were doing a lot of in camera because we didn't want to do any post production special effects. We were playing it old school, which was its own challenge. So you actually had the bed on wires and stuff. Everything mechanical. Everything was. Oh mechanical. my god. Yeah, on purpose. We wanted a look that wasn't slick. Yeah, you know. Wow, that's very impressive. Yeah, I mean the movie just has these moments of. What's the word for it? I don't know. A, a candor, a kind of bluntness. So, you know, whether it's about sex, there's also that, that scene where uh, Catherine has a miscarriage. And I remember it just took me aback completely while watching because Joe uh, Joseph, like, removes the blanket and you see the dead infant and the blood, you know, and and, and the wings and the wings. It was a chicken baby. <laughs> She God. did give birth to it. Well, right, we can, we, can, right yeah. we can talk about that. But, and yeah. this is a spoiler for any listeners who haven't seen the film. So uh, just a heads up. But, you know, the ending is actually, even though it's dark, you know, I mean, uh, there is a death. Yeah, it's not what you see coming, I think, in a movie like that. So you have that. And then you also have, like, hot Jesus descending upon... <laughs> You know, Teresa, you know, with a British accent. <laughs> See, we couldn't get away. I just have to keep coming back to the performances. We couldn't get away with any of that stuff that sort of leaps, you know, sort of like starts levitating when the movie starts levitating a little bit. We couldn't get away with that if we hadn't been grounded beforehand. Like that, like, let's go back for a second to a sex scene on the night, the wedding night, back up to the scene before it. That's an interplay between two people that are going to do something. And, you know, his his positioning himself to try to figure out how to 
make this okay for her. Her like, oh my God, let me get the granny nightgown on. Mm. You know? <laughs> I'm like, let me take this dress off. Can I, I don't want to do this in front of him, you know, which to me felt like, and again, it was in Francine's story, but then I just, I think I was, you, you just think back to your ancestors and yeah, how were my grandparents like on their wedding night? You know, like some of us lived with people we married or whatever. It's just a different time. But but when it's like very like prescribed that you have a courtship and now begins, by the way, you have no preparation for this, but now begins your your married life. Like the fact that Vince and, and Tracy grounded us in that scene with all its awkwardness and its sexiness, I I find it very sexy how awkward they are. Um, and then we then it, we can take off, you know, to crazy land, like you know, this fantasy land because they grounded us first. If we hadn't had that, I don't think that this other scene would work. You know, it's 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 so true, Nancy, and, and also you know, with Lily, you know, like mm -hmm. you know. At at the time, even though the 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 the, the sorts the, our story had you know some heightened reality to it, but it was all like you said, it was also grounded. And the thing about Lily Lily Taylor is is that you know she was way ahead of her time as as far as making choices to play a woman on screen, you know, and and then to bring it bringing performances forward that. Um, he, nobody else was doing. There was nobody her age playing women like 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 Lily played them in every one of the things that she did, and and um, I mean maybe less so, but still interesting as hell in Mystic Pizza, her character in Mystic Pizza. But always always different, always always different, different but and always completely unique. I mean, you think about the performances that are around now. There's some great actresses these days i think the act there's better actresses than there are actors these days as mm -hmm. far as numbers anyway mm -hmm. for sure and as far as ability so that there's great actresses around right now and um there are some young ones that are really good and there are ones that are i remember around the same age as as lily that are you know they're pushing it to the edge again but lily really you know, she was way ahead of her time. You know, mm, that agree. character she plays, the way she does that performance in Household Saints, it would have been really hard to find a, a girl her age um, that talented and also, you know, clever enough to bring that forward in the mm. way she did. I mean, it's, it is really quite something. I mean, she's still amazing, obviously, but I don't know, like, yeah. You're talking about a phenomenal actress. And yeah. it, you know. she was in her early 20s. She was in her early 20s. Wow. When she yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. What she based things on blew my mind because yeah. life experience. No, beyond that, she went somewhere She to get her she stuff. Created, she, she would create these things that are just like so human and so yeah. raw. Yeah. And her, her eyes just kind of exude uh, something in the film they exude that passion it's a very embodied performance and her behavior is inexplicable right like why is this young girl doing all of this is she mentally ill is she a saint and she somehow is so convincing without you needing to know why you know you yeah. just 
You know, you don't need to know why you just believe that she is. No, no exposition needed. My favorite thing. And I don't know how I can't remember how if we did it a lot in the script is dropping dialogue. That's like my favorite, most liberating act on set is like, we don't need this. We don't need this. And just let it fall. Because how often are you in a room with somebody and they're not saying a word and you're kind of vibing everything that's happening with them? And that's that's what cinema can gift us if we allow it. If we just shut up and let people be, um, actors can give you so much in between those lines, which is very exciting. And, and Lily and 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 Vince, I mean, Joseph, you know, the difference between what he would say and then when when he would not say things, what was there, that's that's where you saw Joseph when he didn't have to play the role that was given to him and he could put it down. That's when he came through. I mean, you're talking about like, you know, what is unsaid. Another thing that really struck me about the movie is its use of silence. It's not uh, scored aggressively uh, at all. You know, there, you don't use music to kind of highlight feelings. I was just, nowadays I feel oh, like movies God. are so, can be so noisy and just have so much sound, you know. And while watching it, this the, I've, I experienced this beautiful silence mm. that also, of course, I think relates to the mystic, aspects of the film but there is a I think silence is used very effectively thank you thank you you know often I would get notes like are you going to put more music in there or stuff and we had a wonderful composer in Stephen Endelman he actually had never done a film before he came from opera composing from mm. and from England and then uh we I was saying how I'm using all this Puccini and I wonder if you can evoke something that would help us and he did and we did use it when at the right moments uh, with uh, Beth Kling, our editor. And it was really, it's almost like a really hard thought process to to make sure, no, nah, no, nah, we don't need that because, and, and I always feel like it's a BS detector in you. It's like, I already know how I feel. Shut up. Like, yeah. let me have my time. It's almost like putting on, you know, a bad news report where the commentators are getting all upset for you. And I'm like, yeah. I'm already upset. Can you stop being upset for me? Can you stop giving me things? I want to process and digest this myself. You know, there's a lot of that has to do with the way it's being created on set. You know, like the first you have the great, you have the story by Francine and then you have the script and then you have the, the actors and, you know, and in a, and a unique director and, you know, when the scene is being acted while the camera is rolling, there is a there is a tone, there is a an emotion that's laying in the air between the characters, and there's this kind of overall construct of the movie, and then there's the where where Nancy puts the camera. This is all creating such a vibe, such a, a passionate thing. You know, sometimes you don't need music, it's all there. Yeah, you know, it, it. The, when the when the actors stop speaking, the story has not ended. It's the scene has not stopped. You know, the mm-hmm. scene is still going until somebody picks the picks it back up again with dialogue. You know, but the the you're in in films like um, like Household Saints, the story is being told all the time, um, inspired by the by the writing and and. The, and the actors and the director. I mean, it's it's really, it's, you know, only a few times in one's career do they get the chance to participate in that kind of stuff, oh. you know. 
Well, um, I think that's a great note to start to wrap up on. Before we end, I just I did want to ask what it's been like showing the movie again to audiences, uh, watching the restoration, uh, seeing people react to it. I mean, what what has that been like? Has anything surprised you in seeing new audiences discover it? Yes, yes. Um, I keep saying like the word is gobsmacked, gobsmacked, really, like because the best. For me, at one point, I thought the best thing that happened is, you know, we had lost the film. We had lost the materials. Uh, we couldn't figure out where the rights were. And it took us a couple of years to figure that out. And that was a very sad, sad, depressing time, uh, like a death, really. And then when we found everything, oh, do I use the word resurrection? I was okay. just going to say like the resurrected plants. <laughs> take, you know, take a girl out of Catholicism. You can't take Catholicism out of a girl. Um, so... Yeah, like it felt uh, how wonderful we found the materials and then we found people who would restore it because that's a whole other resource thing. Can you get people who give it the value, who give this film the value to believe it should be restored? And we found that. So I went, okay, wow, this is it. I'm grateful. Thank you so much. It'll come out on DVD. How great is that? And I was going to, yeah, preparing the the emails to everybody. Hey, we're being out on DVD because we never went to DVD. And it's suddenly in theatrical run. First of all, New York Film Festival. Thank you, guys. Thank you, David. Like, we were at the New York Film Festival. The response of the audience there, that started it all. Like, then I... to. I hope Vince, you have the opportunity one day to uh, to hear audiences like Q and A's because these people are getting it. They get it, and it's older people who are fans of the original. And then there's twenty somethings showing up that are. Yeah, I would imagine so. Oh yeah. my god! I had one young person in Philadelphia who um, identified as they, who said, "I am Teresa." Wow. Amazing. You know, so, so, and this, this idea of being in the margins and not being a part of everything else that's going on as I discovered myself and who I was, um, but on, on and on, even last night, uh, at, at, uh, IFC, just, you know, really wild to hear it. I, I feel super, uh, lucky and grateful that this is all happening and that people are getting to see this. And that it means something to them. Everyone's bringing their own thing to it. I'm pretty wild. Will it have find a home on a streaming channel or anything so like that? So th that's the that's the plan. Um, through Kino Lorber, they will be making deals with streaming. One of the things, the pain of of trying to find Household Saints. One thing that came out of it was that a group of us got together, and you can go on a website, missingmovies.org, and see who we are, um, to talk about how we need to let audiences know that their movies are going missing. If you can't find it, if it's not streaming, if it's pulled from streaming, um, if it's it never got to streaming, um, that this is a problem. And also to tell filmmakers, you know what we didn't know? That you have to preserve your own movies. The distributors won't do it. The, you know, the financiers won't do it. As a filmmaker, it's a, it's a responsibility to do, to at least preserve it in the most minimal way if you don't have a lot of money. So we actually have a guide to preserving your own movies on this website. So that that to me um, just was was a great way to sort of say, well, yes, we will be streaming again, but you know, none of this is forever. So the question is, how do we make sure that these movies, not just Hustle Saints, but all these other movies, like if we come out on DVD, can is there a way to kind of keep those DVDs somehow available or I want, I'm teaching a class. Hey, 
student, you have a script that's about like this, you should really see Dog Day Afternoon. You know, uh, is it that might be playing, but, you know, pick a movie that may not be available right now, which has happened a lot for me and my students. And I just go, damn, you know, it is a good movie if you can find it because it'll inform you and it'll inspire you. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's history. So history. Yeah. 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 It's cultural and our, history. Our, our culture. Yeah. So to be denied your culture actually will make you forget who you are. Well, on that note, let's uh, let's wrap this up. Thank you so much, Nancy and Vincent. This was such a lovely conversation. And uh, I encourage listeners to seek out Household Saints out in theaters right now and uh, watch out, I guess, for the streaming release and the DVD release, which we look forward to. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The Film Comment podcast features original music by Greg Einge. Film Comment is a publication of Film at Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has been the home of independent film journalism, publishing in-depth interviews, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com. 